1: I'm Rob Fay, filling in for Shane. Why is Canada's air industry fallen into chaos? Airline expert John Gradyk with McGill University will explain to you how it happened and gives us some possible solutions to our problems. Is it too late to find alien life? Greg Fish walks us through the theory that life in space could have actually peaked. Ah, uh, yes, but it was over 5 billion years ago, so we're a little late to that party. Plus more science theories from the world of weird things. And uh, we ask you if you are okay with Canada's wildlife. This is The Shift Podcast. Brandon, Ryan, are you okay with Canadian wildlife?
2: We have some pretty awesome birds in Canada. I think like the sounds of our birds are pretty amazing. My grandpa loved bird watching. Blue jays, gray jays. Uh, That's pretty sweet. Um, And I'm thankful that like, wildlife there's there's enough space for wildlife to you know do their thing but also like there's a lot of domestic wildlife like i think we've got a pretty good in canada and i think we do a pretty good job of taking care of our animals obviously we could do better um and i'm just uh yeah there, we have some pretty cool beasts in our land
1: so yeah. if i see an animal sorry brendan if i see an animal what's the first canadian animal that you think of first a beaver i say beaver as well i would go with a moose And that would be good. That's a one-eight. This is a good one. But nobody says a loon, as in a loon bird. I thought they do.
2: I love the sound of a loon.
1: Yeah, I actually thought loon first. What does a loon sound like? I'm dying to hear this.
2: It's like the the thing you hear. It's uh, isn't it the uh, actually the best (laughs) way to say loon is the animal at the start of Wheat Kings by Tragically Hip. Isn't that the bird that's the sound of the, the, the yeah.
1: There we go. Oh, nice. Both of you guys. I'm proud of you. Uh, How about this? A man in Saskatoon woke up and looked outside his window to see a staple of Canadian wildlife. But not a bear, not a goose, not a dog. No, it was something much, much bigger.
3: It was just after 7 a.m. this morning when Brian Kendall looked out his window, thinking he saw someone's dog walking down this street. What Kendall actually saw was much larger than a dog.
1: So I kind of get up and go to the window and... uh uh, have a look down this the street, and I can see these legs going. And then I
3: look, and there's a second one. And here it's moose. Global News spoke to a wildlife expert who says when the moose population is high, a moose wandering into a city can happen. He says there is a reason young moose might show up in urban areas. Young
0: moose looking for new territory are often quite adventurous and will follow green corridors like the beautiful South Saskatchewan River into urban areas. Um, that's just sort of a young moose looking to expand horizons.
3: Barrett Miller says moose are one of North America's most dangerous animals.
0: They move fast. They are wild. They look kind of ungainly, but they can move faster than we can run. Every year there are people injured or killed by moose on the continent.
1: Uh, Not so fun fact, the moose is Canada's deadliest animal. There are more than, get a load of this, there's more than 500 traffic accidents caused by moose in Canada annually. I have a question. I know I'm, I'm supposed to read another script here. No, okay. If if a if one goose is a goose, and then multiple gooses become geese, what are multiple moose?
2: There, there's an entire comedy sketch. I can't remember the comedian, but he has oh, this, so this whole has thing. But he can't get the plurals right. And he says moosen, boxen, oxen. He gets it all wrong. And I remember at the very end of the joke, he said what it was correctly. And I'm completely blanking on it, so it's not uh, mooses. It's not meese, is it? <laughs> it's moose. definitely not meese. Okay. Um, Look at all those the. The only correct plural of moose is moose. Oh, that, yeah. So you just say moose. Well, how come they don't that, that, say I the same said, thing for goose? Yeah, right. English is. Weird. Yeah. There's, uh, I used to go to a summer camp where the uh, you would get awards if you were a great kid and did something cool. And it was meese. Meese was the award you would get. It was huh. a tiny little uh, like cotton ball that was colored and had little antlers. And I actually thought that the plural of, of moose was meese for a long time. But nope. It's just moose.
1: Well, gentlemen, here's what I need you to know before you go home tonight, all right? Between you and me, because I feel like we're becoming friends. In order to stay safe around a moose, just in case this happens to you. By the way, the guy in the clip was awesome. Couldn't have sounded more Canadian if he tried. (laughs) Miller says it's best to maintain distance, stay inside, and then report it to emergency officials immediately. I feel like that's kind of a blanket statement. Same thing with a cougar. Beaver herd. Oh, a herd. Anyways, uh, Saskatoon Police Service and Conservation Officers were able to capture said moose in less than three hours after the initial report. I thought it took them three hours to do it. The moose will now be released into a safe location by the Ministry of the Environment. So there you go. It's a, a feel-good story at the end of it.
2: How do you move a moose?
1: Like, Very politely.
2: You just put it. Yeah, <laughs> you just like is there a trailer you know how they have like horse trailers do you think like with
1: the antlers how could you fit do you get a the moose? cowboy and lasso him around the neck with the beard and everything Yeah,
2: i don't know man no, he's too I big will... for that yeah
1: so this guy on twitter or pardon me on uh, on our line says a group of geese is called a skiin? i thought a group of gooses were called geese
2: wait maybe is geese uh the male and female of
1: goose? I don't think so. Oh my gosh. How do we do how do we get on the radio? Like I feel yeah, like we've hijacked yeah. this station.
2: We've done this we have done Smith. this so many mooses? times. Mooses?
1: No, it's not mooses. It's a group well, of moose. A
2: group of geese can also be called a gaggle. <laughs>
1: well, I will say this the coolest of all animals when they're traveling in packs are crows. Because yeah. when they travel together, it's a murder. Yes. Ooh. A murder of crows. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Ominous fun fact. I mean, I guess so. All right, gentlemen, are you ready for your next one? Yes. Are you okay with the fine print?
2: I'm really bad at reading the fine print. It, it, depending on what it is, usually I'm a skimmer. I skim through, uh, especially like terms of agreement. A lot of video games, a great example, have online connections. So in order to play online, you have to must agree to the terms of the service. I never read it. Never. I know they're taking my data. There's nothing I can to do to stop it. But what I have started doing, and I don't think a lot of Canadians know that they can do this. We're lucky in Canada is, you know, you go to a website and it'll pop up and say, accept cookies. Yes. You can actually, it's a law in Canada that websites that collect cookies have to give you options on what cookies the sites can uh, use. And they usually hide the button. They usually make it not as obvious But if you look, you can turn off all cookies on all website you go to. We have that right. We have that protection here. Not every country does. So I've started doing that and I've noticed that the ads that I get on Google and social media and all that are not as creepily accurate. And that gives me some safety. Actually, I feel better about it.
1: I can't wait till tomorrow morning when I have like eight moose ads on my google search yeah just a trip
2: to banff you're just gonna get an ad for a trip to banff
1: (laughs) that's right banff and you know do you feel like a moose horn like i mean there's gonna be a thousand things that go wrong with my and and by the way it's gonna be a maple leafs jersey that's gonna be on the moose uh did you know that great segue everybody skims over the fine print when it comes to terms of agreement with apple but what about politicians Would they ever skim over a law and then pass it? Well, some voters in Minnesota think that that actually happened. A new Minnesota law lets people 21 and over buy and consume food and beverages with a small amount of hemp-derived THC. And some legislators may not have understood this. And now for some science from NPR.
0: So, Mr. Chair, first I would move the S4410A92 amendment. All in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed. It's adopted. And then I would move House Article 22, Sections 1, 3 through 9, and 11 as amended. All in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed. That doesn't legalize marijuana. We just didn't do that, did we? Okay. Oh, are, are you kidding? <laughs> of course you have. Oh, no, it's all in the
1: fine. Just kidding. Thing. Okay. Just yes.
0: kidding. Next, we'll do that next. Okay.
1: And by the way, did you see the wild game the other night? He <laughs> Dude, they totally didn't get it. The best part is the Republican-controlled Senate has opposed recreational marijuana legalization efforts in the past. Did you hear him right at the end? Yeah, we didn't, we didn't just, re, we didn't just uh, regulate marijuana, did we? Oh, heaven forbid. I feel like we should play the last like eight seconds of that clip again.
2: That's yeah, the moment it, where they're just like, what? Uh, before we do, I want to just give you a little bit of extra context because we skipped over something pretty important. Why did they think? Why did this happen? So what they think thought they did was not what they clearly did. So the new law says that food and beverages cannot contain more than five milligrams of hemp derived THC per serving and no more than 50 milligrams per package. Now, marijuana derived THC is still illegal in Minnesota, but THC derived from hemp is chemically exactly the same. Marijuana and hemp come from the same cannabis plant, though the plants are bred differently. So the marijuana... Plant THC will get you higher, but the THC from hemp can still get you high. So, what I think that happened here is they saw hemp and thought, oh no, you can't get high off that and passed it. When in fact, you actually can. So, they legalized a product that can get you high, but not quite as high as normal weed. That's what happened there. And they did come out today and say that. Quote, we absolutely did do this on purpose. It was an intentional step forward. And mm, they haven't convinced me. You
1: know what? I want to hear that. Is there any way we could do this, Brendan? Could we just hear them at the last like couple of seconds? If not, let me just reenact it. I I, I could tell you. Did we just legalize marijuana? Oh, my gosh. I sure hope not. I mean, come on, guys. This is the people in charge of the state. Or maybe they do like THC, and they're playing us all along. Hey, I know. We'll act like we made it a mistake, but at the same time, meet me in the back alley right afterwards. We'll go behind the portable, and we're going to get after this right away. I don't know. Good for them. It's high time so that everybody does it. No pun intended. High time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, gentlemen, are you okay? Oh, God, I love this one. Are you okay with the ice cream truck?
2: I mean yeah it's the ice cream truck there's no simple simpler show of pure joy and excitement than the ice cream truck I i uh,
0: had a traumatic incident in my oh no youth. yeah where well yeah, I, thought, I mean it wasn't necessarily i was more did you buy of a, one? I, no i was a bystander off to the side in uh this was in Buffalo, New York, and there was a ice cream truck going down a side street with cars parked on both sides. So Did it, it was catch a very fire? narrow side street, and um, I guess it just came to a point where it was a little too narrow. And it took out about three. The guy kept going. He took out like the front end of about three different cars before finally coming to a stop. Like he slammed these vehicles hard. Um, I was only about four, so I first was excited that the ice cream truck was coming, but then there was just <laughs> carnage. So I was terrified. Did was he at actually least turn the music off? Of uh, yeah, yeah, he did actually.
1: He did. There was like a record scratch, <laughs> and it was like, oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, you see, that's funny that you bring up that story because I have the greatest memory. So I used to live in a in Scarborough in a, a area called Mornell Court, Ontario housing. It's Morningside in Ellesmere. And we would have the ice cream truck all the time. And it was like a dollar for the soft serve. And it was like the best. I used to chase this dude down the street. Well, fast forward like 25, 30 years. I go into a Blue Jays game. Now as a full grown man with my friends. And wouldn't you know it, I'm like, damn it. That looks like the exact same ice cream truck that I used to chase back when I was a kid. I go down the street. It's the same driver. A lot older, but the same guy. And I ordered an ice cream, which was now like five fifty. So obviously inflation. But this guy had been doing it his whole life. Imagine that—the wow. purveyor of happiness for more than thirty years.
0: A whole life. I, I don't know if you hit a bunch of scratches
1: yeah. on his front fender. I don't know what that was from. Though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Might have been a moose. Okay. <laughs> no, we need a laugh track because you guys obviously don't find me funny. Uh, nothing says nah That's OK. Nothing says summer like an ice cream truck. But residents in Aurora, Colorado haven't seen or heard an ice cream truck in their town. Forget this. More than 60 years because they were illegal.
3: Until now. It's a great day for the people of aurora it's a great day for the city of aurora
2: you might be wondering why these trucks carrying the classics were ever illegal in 1957 the city banned ice cream trucks labeling them a nuisance people didn't want them driving up and down their street playing that jingle plus it was a safety concern for kids Aurora City Council thawing that law.
4: There's five of us who serve on that committee, and it was a collective
0: what, (laughs) and we just couldn't believe it.
2: Its red tape reduction committee has been working to repeal and fix outdated laws. Here's your business license. Ice cream wagon getting the city's first legal license today, (laughs) bringing joy to Aurora streets, toddlers and teens sprinting to get a taste we were in the middle of watching a movie and then we (laughs) heard the ice cream truck and so these three right here started sprinting
1: that from kdvr a city councilor, says the new ordinance passed unanimously on the first reading it didn't even require a second so hey ice cream for all Uh, and by the way one of the best ice cream flavors that you can get is moose droppings that doesn't sound very appetizing. You know, yeah. Have you never had ice, uh, Moose Droppings ice cream before? No. It's no, got that, like it. chocolate-covered raisins in it. It's got caramel. Oh. Oh. See, really? Oh. No. Do chocolate-covered raisins? No. Or nuts or something like that. I can't don't remember what that. it is. It's That's really good. Okay, okay, but raisins? No. You man. guys don't like chocolate-covered raisins?
2: <sighs> no, I am not. No, not happening. I mean, not that, ha- I'm okay with raisins on their own on their own. Not in anything, not on anything. A box of raisins is fine on top of something ruined.
0: Yeah, and just don't call it moose droppings on
2: top yeah, of that. That just it looks like, yeah. it, like moose oh, poop looks like geez. that, right? Like so, How oh, do you know what
1: moose poop looks like?
2: Because one took one on my mom's lawn like two weeks ago, <laughs> and it was the size of a basketball. It was ridiculous. It was, we had, like, it was a shovel was needed to clean that up. Wow.
1: I, I yeah. I know living in say. living
2: in the rural parts of Calgary has its benefits and its downsides. This is The Shift Podcast.
1: Rob Fay in for Shane Hewitt, and this is The Shift. You know, yesterday when I was talking about aviation and everything that was going on around the world, specifically in Canada, uh, we got a lot of feedback. Some of it was good, some of it not so nice. So I figured today... A gentleman that I recently spoke with, I said, you know, I got to get him back on the program. So, John Gradic from McGill University, kind enough to join me. John, good evening. How are you today? Not bad, Rob. Yourself? I am fine, and I am looking for solutions to the problems right now. I think we all have it well documented that Lester B. Pearson and, and certain airports in Canada are really struggling. If you could put your finger maybe on the epicenter of what could be the solution, where would we even start?
4: Oh, the solution at this point in time really is what I would call unstacking the airport. Um, you know, the, and, and the reason I say unstacking is because the, you know, the operations have created these peaks uh, that, you know, drive people to to get to the airport and they're either brought to the airport by, by inbound flights or they're being, you know, scheduled so that local passengers are arriving at the same time as, those connecting passengers are coming in. So what's happening is that you've got a tsunami of passengers showing up during peak operating times at the airport, and it's really surtaxing the capability of the airport to handle that volume.
1: We talked about the fact that there's a lot of staff out there that might be under-trained. And I I think one of the takeaways is we have to remember chronologically, you know, some of the airlines decided that they were going to furlough, some retired and took their buyouts, and then all of a sudden, this, as to use your phrase, tsunami of people wanting to travel came back. How, let's talk about this. How ill prepared were the airports and where did the decision go wrong?
4: Well, I think, you know, everybody kind of got, everybody played a game in this one. I think that the the tsunami, as I refer to it, it basically created um, probably around mid to late March when the airlines decided. That you know there was going to be all of this pent up demand. The quarantines were coming off, the PCR testing was coming off, uh, and that you know they had to basically put a lot of capacity out there to address the demands that they were seeing were coming to them over the course of the next four or five months. So at the at the end of March, we saw a flurry of announcements from the airlines: uh, Air Canada, WestJet, Air Transat, that basically increased their services um internationally as well as domestically uh and then they came back and told uh the carrier or told the airport authorities cats uh, cbsa the airports the guys doing the gates that you know we're going to be looking at expanding our schedule and expect some traffic no idea how much traffic was going to show up because the airlines basically are the, are the are the purveyors of the keys for the demand numbers so air canada says we, we're putting a lot of capacity out there we don't know what the uptake is going to be of those seats but be prepared for some numbers. And then mid-April shows up, the carriers say, oh my God, you know, everybody wants to fly and here are the numbers and uh, we got to react accordingly. And so that's when the process really started sometime around mid to late April where, you know, the CATSA, CBSA, uh, the airport authorities basically got wind that we had this tsunami of passengers showing up and the airlines were ready. The airlines were ready. They had the they had the airplanes. They had the flight crews. That's what they that's what they kept. Uh, but they went. They were looking for people as well to basically staff up their airport operating side. So everybody was out there trying to recruit. Uh, and uh, as we all know, so our restaurants, or so our hotels. So everybody's out there trying to recruit. Everybody's out there poaching, you know, different people to get to work for them. And that really
1: caused the snafu that we're seeing today. John, I remember in the old days, it was one of those things where you wanted to work for the airline industry because you got the, quote, free flights. It seemed glamorous. You got to see the world. Is the industry still as glamorous?
4: No, it's not. I think that, you know, the value that you see in terms of the free flights and everything else, remember those those free flights are space available. So, you know, in today's modus operandi in the airline industry is fill those planes up as much as you can with revenue passengers. So the opportunities... Uh, for free flights and the ability for you to basically plan your holidays and using those free flights um, are few and far between. You really gotta you know be very very careful in terms of where your flights because you can go out on a flight may not come back that quickly on the flight that you plan because it is space available so that perk really has is, has taken a taken a hit and that 's because of the commercial you know decisions that the airlines are making to fill those planes up as much as they possibly can with revenue paying passengers so and the, 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 you know the, the trade-off the airlines have re- usually made with these, these perks is that you know oh here's a great perk so we won't have to pay you as much. And so the salaries that you know the new hires or the hires within the last 10 years, uh, basically the, the airlines valued those perks a lot more than they valued compensation. Uh, and so you had lower compensation. So that's coming back to Roost as well that you know the compensation levels, the working conditions, the, the whole work mindset really, of air can, of, a, of aviation employees, in particular, Canada has changed quite a bit over the last 10 years.
1: I'm John Gradick of McGill University joining me. Um, I will say that it is an optical nightmare for these you know, PR companies that are trying to figure a way a way to spin this positively. I mean, all you see is this sea of baggage by the turnstiles. You see passengers in these long lineups, and they all look frustrated from an optic. Is there a way that, a you know, a, how would I say this? Is there a way that an airport might be able to spin this and say, you know what? Yeah, it's bad right now, but better days are ahead. How, how would you do the PR spin on this? Oh, I'd, I'd have to, you know, and, and far be it for me to put myself in the
4: shoes of the Air Canada team at this point in time. But there's a big Mia Copa that, that really has to be said, you know, to the Canadian traveling public. The Air Canada brand is getting hit and you know and i and i see people hundreds of people every day saying never fly air canada don't fly air canada get away from air canada look at the treatment they're giving their passengers so it, you know air canada is facing <laughs> a tsunami of brand complaints these days uh and so you know in those situations you know i i my my biggest issue with with the way that this has been handled is i have not seen air canada take ownership publicly of any of this stuff i haven't yet to see an Air Canada senior leader, executive, basically come out and in front of the press and basically explain what happened and, you know, apologize or whatever you want to do. Somebody's got to be the public figure of Air Canada. It's not going to be the PR guys. We need somebody in the executive leadership at Air Canada, to basically take ownership. Uh, and once that happens, you know, that person will come, will, will, will be a lightning rod for sure. But, you know, that's why they get paid the big bucks to take the lightning hits and i think that that's what we need right now is basically somebody to kind of calm the waters and basically say better days will will will, uh, will lie ahead we're working pretty hard to get to get our act together please bear with us our sincere apologies we're going to pay for everybody's canceled trips we're going to refund everybody we're going to pay for your missed cruises and your missed hotels and car rentals um
1: that's our job so let's see if they uh, do that is there potential that one of these airlines could go bankrupt and then look to the government for some subsidization? I'm not even going to go down that path. Um, oh, okay. the, the, the,
4: the, the financials of the industry are, you know, you, it may look good, and that's you know that's another issue that the airlines are saying we might as well, you know, make hay while the going is good because they know that you know BA five variant is just around the corner, and we all know what that could mean for the industry. So they're maximizing their revenue opportunities now and trying to get as much cash as they possibly can. So they know. So it's, it's a question of saying, OK, but you guys, just because you can fly these airplanes, doesn't mean that you should fly these airplanes and understand the, air, you know, understand the implications of flying you know, these airplanes as hard as you've done, because you are, in fact, looking at you know, putting the Canadian traveling public as a ham in the sandwich and they're not very happy.
1: John, let's switch gears. I want to talk about travel in general right now because we've been able to focus on Canada, and unfortunately, it's a little bit bleak, but let's talk about traveling abroad. I can't remember the last time. It seems like everybody I talk to is going to Ireland and going overseas, and I don't know if there was like a seat sale or something, but I can't tell you how many of my friends have been to Dublin in the last four to six months, but... Are you nervous when you travel abroad? Because obviously there's a war that's going on in, in um, Eastern Europe. There is still mandates that are different in different countries. Do you feel that people are like, screw it, I'm just going to do it? Or there is still this hesitation mentally to truly leap the pond?
4: Well, I think that people have you got this, this urge to travel. You know, I, I labeled it a few months ago as revenge travel. That, you know, people are going to be wanting to go out there and get, out, get, their, get, their, uh, get their kicks from traveling again. And uh, you, we've seen that happen. And, you know, people basically are saying, you know, the heck with the the heck with, the, uh, with the good constraints that are out there or heck with what's going on. I'll manage my risk. So travel in 2022 and summer 22 is a combination of both patience that you have, how much flexibility you built into your itinerary and your sense of adventure and your sense of risk. So those are, the, those are the components that I think characterize travel in the summer of 2022. Um, if you ha- have a sense of adventure and you have some flexibility in your schedule, you don't mind getting you know shuffled around for a bit and you've got enough time to do it, be my guest. But if you've got to be in London, England and for a wedding and then you've got to be in France for a holiday and you've got to do all of this in a week, um, not, not the summer to travel, not the summer to do that. It's not going to work. Um, you know, there's congestion, there's delays, there's disruption all over Europe. Um, so if you've got a tight itinerary or you're basically risk averse or you haven't got a sense of humor when you're flying, uh, now is not the time to fly.
1: Is this where other industries in travel can maybe take advantage? Like if I'm a train organization like VIA or if I'm Greyhound, is this where I can capitalize? I think so. I
4: think that, you know, the people are reconsidering their international travel when they see what's going on at Pearson and Montreal, Trudeau, and they see what's going on at Heathrow and in Schiphol and the rest of Europe. uh, And they're really repositioning themselves for Canadian travel Uh, and Canadian travel. You know, a lot, you know what you're getting yourself into in terms of travel conditions and constraints and health requirements. Uh, So this will be a boon for the Canadian travel agency.
1: John, I do appreciate your time today. I know you're a super busy person. Um, one last one just before we go. I always yep. like to finish on a positive here. Is there an end in sight? Like I know that this wave that is coming through as far as the travel is usually families in the summertime. So is it when kids finally go back to school? Is it when staffing numbers finally get up to a certain number? Where is that light and where should I focus?
4: I would say, you know, you're right. You know, the, 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 the summer peak is where the airlines make a lot of money and that peak kind of kinds to, you know, come down to earth sometime around the 10th of September. So then that, that gives two to three months for the airlines and the airports to get their staffing levels up. So hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll kind of reconsider what it's going to take to basically entice people to come and work for them. Uh, they've got a couple of weeks to kind of reconfigure their compensation packages to attract people and the market will naturally thin out come September 15. So I got my fingers crossed for mid-September, early October as uh, something that resembles sanity back
1: into the uh, Canadian travel industry. Well, I won't hold you to it because the world changes in the blink of an eye. But, John, just the <laughs> fact that we, able to get, we were able to get these kind of answers um, at least uh, makes me take a deep breath and say, you know what, maybe we will be able to get through this. John, thank you for your time today.
4: All right, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Take care.
3: This is The Shift Podcast. How are you, Greg? I'm doing fine. How
1: about yourself? So far, so good. So they told me that you and I were going to be talking today, and I'm like, all right, well, let me start scouring the web. I am absolutely infatuated with your weird things, your world of uh, can I? May I just start with the first of probably like five things that I want to ask you about?
3: Absolutely. Let's go ahead and start.
1: I, I would like that. Let's start with the galactic graveyard. Why alien civilizations in our galaxy may be long gone. Walk me through this thought process. It's a it's a fantastic article.
3: Well, thank you. Uh, so, I, I think that the way that, that we kind of started this segment, and uh, me living in the United States, I sort of have this uh, now kind of predisposition to talk about crumbling empires and things falling apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just, just a topic near and dear to my heart right now. Uh, so, with that in mind, uh, it, actually, this study caught my eye couple months ago, um, and I thought it was it was really an interesting approach to trying to apply what we know about life and what we know about stellar populations and what we think about as the forces in the universe that generally define what areas of the cosmos may be habitable, uh, and also apply it through the dimension of time. And when you do that, you find that the best place for life to evolve in the galaxy is is something like twelve to 13,000 light years away from us, and about, oh, 8 billion years ago, or sorry, 8 billion years after the galaxy formed, so 5.5 billion years ago. That is probably, statistically, technically, the peak time and place for life to exist, which means that these are the best Times for intelligent life to to emerge because it's just going to have so many chances, which basically tells us that we are billions and billions and billions of years late to trying to find a whole bunch of aliens we could potentially talk to.
1: Do you think we're kind of like one of the last ones? Like, I know that you cannot answer that, but you talk about being late and then you can talk about how long and how, you know, de-evolved we are from what could be out there. Uh, Are we just kind of alone on a rock, just drifting aimlessly? Or do you really believe that there's somebody out there that is kind of a dance partner for us?
3: Well, statistically speaking, there should be something out there as well. Uh, This is really, again, the study doesn't say that every single alien civilization in the galaxy is now dead and gone and never mind any sort of idea of contact with them. All it really tells us is that we probably missed the absolute peak we missed we miss the best time to catch them. It doesn't say that other civilizations couldn't exist right now. So, so that's really what we're talking about. Um, the the biggest thing about this is, is to really understand the study, we really need to understand the concept of deep time. And I'm I'm just curious, have you ever heard of that concept before?
1: Of deep time? Yes. I have. I have not.
3: So deep time, very interesting thing. So. This segment, or rather, I've, I've, I've done this segment about, you know, a million seconds ago. So, about a week. And in that week, you've probably noticed that not much has changed. This has probably been an average week for you. Well, not, not super average, because Canada Day, happy birthday, Canada. Uh, but other than that, it's been pretty, it's probably not been this, the most eventful week, right?
1: That's true. It's been pretty normal.
3: Now, if you're about to turn 32, first of all, happy birthday. Second of all, you're almost, you're a little over a billion seconds old. Uh, So congratulations on that. And in those billion seconds, you've grown up um, and you've. You've probably watched another generation grow. Uh, all of a sudden, you want to know what the kids are into because it's not starting to make sense anymore. You've probably also observed some major changes to where you grew up. You've probably moved somewhere else. You've noticed some political changes. You've noticed some social changes. You've started noticing patterns that you couldn't have noticed in the span of a million seconds. So really, from the standpoint of deep time, it's it's the idea that if we can actually Look for long enough, we're going to see patterns that are actually incredibly influential that we wouldn't have noticed if we just, you know, looked for just a couple moments. So that's really what what that brings us. We we really, when we look at time from the standpoint of millions of years, are basically just a second. Anything anything that that is less than a million years, we don't, we're not even bothering with. We're going to see some very major and complicated forces that can shape pretty much everything in the universe. And that includes life and distribution of stars and potentially distributions of um, alien civilizations. And that brings us right back to the Milky Way. The Milky Way is about uh, 13.5 billion years old. It's going to exist for another 5 billion years as an independent galaxy, after which it will merge with Andromeda, and then this combined galaxy might be around for another ten billion years or thirteen billion years before it hits something else. So there's plenty of chances for life to emerge. And after the merger with Andromeda, there might be a huge spark of activity that will generate another um, belt of probabilities for life to emerge. So it's it's very again it's it's all very much cyclical. But we may have just come at this time that's very quiet. There's not a whole lot out there. Um, And there's not really other we may contact and find.
1: It's unbelievable. We actually got people texting in that says deep time rules. People are on your train right now. And I appreciate that, Greg. I want to switch gears. You brought up another great topic. It says global warming won't kill us anymore, but it sure is going to make us suffer. I thought it was a great read and you went right at it. You said that humanity is not going to collapse from climate change thanks to things that we've already done, but we could be in serious trouble if we don't do more. Do tell.
3: So again, uh, Humans do tend to have the capacity to do the right thing under stress, and we are very much doing that now because we do realize that we probably do want to leave and live in a cleaner, better world, no matter what. Um, and maybe we, you know, instead of paying the giant bonuses of an oil executive, maybe would like our air to be a little bit less, a little bit less cancery and more breathable. Uh, so we're doing a lot to build. Alternative sources of energy that are that are much cleaner, that are much easier to deal with, um, and actually, funny enough, this also applies to believe it or not, what we were just talking about. Uh, there's definitely there are definitely studies out there asking, well, what if there's alien civilizations that are also industrialized, this is possible that they poisoned their own planet and accidentally killed themselves off because the planet itself will be fine. It's our infrastructure and our ability to grow food and our ability to maintain a modern society that may not catch up with how fast we're changing the planet by pumping out emissions and not cleaning up after ourselves. So that's that's another one of those things to, to, to keep in mind. We We do know what we need to do. The problem is really more political and having people in power who just don't want to do anything about it but the thing about that is that humans are mortal and those people have a very finite lifespan so the so the earlier that they're gone for one reason or another the earlier we can actually take a lot more action than we are taking right this moment and we do have a lot of great plans for how to like really clean up the planet
1: and you're just saying that politicians are getting in a way not to put words in your mouth but that's what i'm hearing correct
3: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. no. You're not putting words in my mouth. That's exactly what I'm saying. Mm. They're literally just sitting there in the way like this big giant roadblock. I mean, yeah. That's, that's just the way it is.
1: You know, one of the things that you said in the article is you said, listen, humanity doesn't have a planet B, not a plan B, but a planet B and won't for hundreds, if not thousands of years. You see somebody like Elon Musk in the news talking about how they're going to try to get to Mars, how they might try to inhabit Mars. And everybody sits back and says, oh, well, maybe it's like the Matt Damon maybe, movie. Maybe we can get this going. And so that there isn't really the five alarm fire panic that you would assume would be around humanity right now. I mean, if you look at the temperatures, if you look at things that are going on globally with food and everything, I'm actually really surprised that humanity as a whole, minus those who already understand what we're doing, aren't
3: a little more concerned. Well, I think that humanity by itself is, is very much concerned. It's just we, the leaders who we have, aren't because they don't really care. We kind of went on the big spree of electing sociopaths to positions of power. And what happens with sociopaths is that they're basically physically and mentally incapable of caring about anyone but themselves and what benefits them in the current moment. So that's really what we're fighting with. I'm pretty sure that the majority of people are quite concerned about how we're actually going to make this world run without Killing ourselves in the process, um, but that. But then, when we start talking about um, things like, are we actually going to be able to go to another planet as a Plan B? Uh, the answer is, Elon Musk can say whatever it is that he wants to say, but the bottom line is, if he tries to send people to Mars anytime in the next couple hundred years, those people will die a horrible death. That's just that's just science. Um, you have to keep in mind that um, gravity uh, is. Pretty The lack of gravity is is pretty bad for the human body. Like We evolved at a certain gravity, and it's very important for us. Um, So basically being in a place that has one-third the gravity and far, far more radiation means we're probably going to live very short, miserable lives. Actually, starting a colony on another planet is immensely hard. And one of the biggest things that we need to realize is that when we move to other planets, it's not going to be because... Well, Earth is a wreck, we needed to do something, and we built a utopia in another world, like a lot of sci-fi uh, will tell us. The reality is going to be we're going to move to other planets when we develop the technology to modify ourselves to exist on other worlds. That's how that's actually going to happen in reality. When that will happen, I don't know, but it's not going to be anytime soon. You know, In the next hundred years, we're not going to have massive cities on Mars with millions of of active people uh, having, you know, parties and inviting us over. That's just not happening. Sorry.
1: Uh, You don't have to apologize to me. I totally get it. Um, I've always had this conversation with my friends about life on Earth. Like, for example, we're not going to Mars. We're not going to set up on the moon. We're not going to Jupiter. But can we dig downward? Can we live in the ocean? Like, could we possibly utilize the other sixty five percent of the world that we don't even get a sniff of? Is that even possible?
3: I'm actually going to challenge the the question of that we're not going to set up on the moon. We can actually set up on the moon now. We have the technology now. If we really wanted to do it, and we could free up a hundred billion dollars or so worldwide, we could totally set up on the moon. That's not even an issue. There's all sorts of plans. All sorts of uh, machinery, all sorts of rocketry that we know how to build, we could totally build a base on the moon, no problem.
1: But I thought politicians got the in the way. The issue
3: is just going to be rotating the a- astronauts out on a timely basis.
1: Right, 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 right.
3: Um, and in terms of and in terms of settling the, the the thing about that is that that's not really a topic I'm I'm very familiar with because when you start dealing with uh, when you start dealing with oceans uh, how are you going to build the infrastructure that you're actually going to need to run say a floating city there's people who've definitely tried to plan it out. Um, there's actually this libertarian idea called seasteading where they essentially would create a floating city that wouldn't have to obey any rules or laws or, or pay any taxes, which is probably the most important thing uh, for a libertarian. Uh, but they've never been able to get it off the ground because it's really difficult to have all of these resources and all of these supply lines without involving something from the dry land like it's it's going to be really really difficult um so how we're actually going to do that how we would actually settle the oceans is is a big big question mark and plus i'm pretty sure there's a lot of biologists out there who would probably say please don't do that we already mess with wildlife enough we have you know, all these communications going off. We have these these container ships going back and forth. We have military vessels constantly probing and pinging everything. Uh, We're probably not going to... It's probably going to be better for the wildlife if we just leave it alone in the ocean.
1: Well, the one concern is that the wildlife are going to be here and we are not because wildlife, believe it or not, is far more adaptable than human beings are aside from the technology that we can create. And I just think if we're getting overheated or if there's no food here... Um, we're going to have to find somewhere to go. And I just wonder if the oceans aren't the place that even some could. You brought up the talk of geothermal energy, which I thought was an article that was great. This is from a couple of months ago. And you were talking about a new energy startup that wants to use lasers to make geothermal energy more accessible across the world. Is this a good thing?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So um, geothermal of power it's almost always on um and earth is going to be hot for billions of years more than we'll actually be able to have anything on the surface because eventually the sun will expand into its red giant phase and it'll heat up um and nothing could really like stay on the surface of earth because it'll just be way too hot uh, but up until that point, we can be and actually even past that point if we really wanted to and bird really deep into the into the ground, we could still be extracting very steady energy from it and it's clean and it's pretty safe. Uh, You just have to be very careful how you drill and where you drill. And we can even drill under super volcanoes and cool them off if we really wanted to over a period of thousands of years. Hmm. So there's a lot of energy within the earth. And the more reliably we can find a way to use it, the cleaner and easier it's going to be for us to essentially just retrofit all of our existing grids to run off of geothermal energy, and then mix it in with solar, with tidal, with other renewable energy sources, and yes, with nuclear power, and we'd have all of our needs covered basically forever.
1: It's a great way to finish. You know what? Let's finish with a little optimism on that one. Greg, thank you so much for stopping by. I know that you're usually a contributor with Shane, but I was looking forward to this all afternoon. And um, thank you for making time for me, especially this late at night. Let's talk again.
3: Absolutely. Always a pleasure.